Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hello, this is Rocky Deer. You know, I love learning new things. And sometimes we get a chance to learn things kind of like a fire hose. And that's going on right now. I'm coming to you from the State Bar of Texas podcast in partnership with the Legal Talk Network. And I get the honor and privilege of being here in Houston, Texas for the 2018 State Bar of Texas annual meeting. And I've been learning something very new today. All right, so I'm going to share this with you. I have a couple of ladies with me as, as my guests today. They are from the University of Texas paralegal program. Now, if you're not familiar with that, we're going to learn a bit more about it. And if you're a practicing lawyer, you're going to learn a few tips about effective use of paralegals and how to use them as real force multipliers in your practice. So I want you to, to sit back and welcome. We've got Tiffany Haas. Hello. Everybody say hi to Tiffany. She can't hear you, but just say hi back. And come on, it's polite people. Come hi. On. Yeah, there you go. There hi, you Tiffany. Go. And Tiffany apparently has taught me that the last name Haas is German. It's German for rabbit. That's what I've heard. That's what her in-laws tell her. And so she's sticking with the family story. Correct. Right? And then we've got Johanna Schroeder. Yes. Johanna, welcome. And uh, Joe, right? We get to call you Joe? <laughs> if you'd like. Sure. <laughs> Miss Schroeder. Fine. fine. Look at this. There you go. Look at this. Fräulein. So anyway, we're, we're going to be talking a bit about paralegals. And I think it's kind of this black box that most attorneys don't really know a whole lot about. Would you guys agree? Correct. I think I would agree. And part of that, I, I believe, is because of all the classes that attorneys take in whatever law school they go to, whether it's UT or not, there's no class on how to use a paralegal. There's no class on how to, how to manage your law practice. Can one of you tell us a bit about the difference between, say, a paralegal, a legal assistant, legal secretary? Because sometimes all of those terms kind of get used interchangeably. Well, first of all, it's kind of important to understand the history of the paralegal profession. Originally, um, attorneys worked alone, and then they realized they couldn't do it all alone. They could be much more effective, and they needed someone to help them to do some of the more administrative things. So they brought in what we now refer to as a legal secretary or okay. a legal assistant. Those okay. terms are almost interchangeable now. Okay. Past that, and I would say probably about 20 years ago, the late 90s, there started to be a differentiation between legal secretaries and what we now refer to as paralegals. So a legal secretary essentially will do non-billable work and a paralegal will do billable work. So okay. the non-billable work, it may be scheduling, you know, calendaring. Clerical. Um, yeah, you would, you would definitely, uh, although there's been a lot of pressure to, to move them more toward a paralegal function, the paralegals typically, they will do drafting. Now we do e-filing. We used to file everything by paper. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of e-filing, whether it's intellectual property, whether it's litigation. Uh, everything is, is e-filing now. So a paralegal will do drafting, uh, client interface, you know, depositions, reviewing agreements. There's a broad array. That, corporate and securities, they'll help file, uh, you know, SEC filings, um, you know, help draft uh, responses to office actions for, you know, patents in intellectual property law. They really are that step between the administrative function and the high-level legal advice that attorneys do. All right, so, so Johanna, are you a paralegal? I'm not. No, You're I'm, not. I'm not. No, I'm, I've, I've been working with paralegals for about 15 years, and okay. I am a board member for the UT Paralegal Program. Okay, and then... Tiffany, you are, you're an attorney. 
I'm an attorney and okay. I have a mother that's a paralegal. And as a baby attorney, when I started practicing law, I had a paralegal that had been working for about 30 years. And so she just kind of took me in as a baby lawyer and actually taught me how the system worked and from day one realized how important a good paralegal is. We've talked about what paralegals can do. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe talk about the line between a paralegal and an attorney. Okay. So when does the paralegal cross the line into doing attorney work or what are some of the functions that attorneys should not be relying on their paralegals for? A paralegal cannot practice law. They have to have their work delegated to them by an attorney and everything that they draft or put together has to be reviewed and approved by an attorney. And as you get, the relationship gets stronger, a lot of times the review may be just a quick read over a motion that the sure. paralegal's done a hundred times and just a signature on the bottom, but a paralegal cannot sign the document. It has to be signed and um, pretty much authorized by the attorney before it is filed or sent on. So in the litigation context, it might be easy to sort of envision that the paralegal obviously cannot argue in court, whereas the attorney can. Correct. Say in the transactional context, whether it's an SEC filing or it's, mm-hmm. it's patent work or what have you, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the paralegal can pretty much do all the work, but then the attorney is simply the one who reviews it and signs it? Well, I wouldn't say it does all the work necessarily. Uh, there may be some lucky attorneys out there. Sure. But many times what you will find, especially, let's take intellectual property. Okay. The filing of a patent has so many different parts. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's office actions, there's responses, there's, you know, putting shells together. A lot of this preliminary work will be done by a paralegal. And the way things are filed with the USPTO right now, the, the attorneys, it's, they basically have a signature. They file under the attorney's uh, bar license. Sure. And once you have a paralegal that you have trained and worked with well enough and you know that their attention to detail and they know exactly how things need to be done, they, they probably don't need to review as much. But the lines with transactional work especially... Paralegals can do a lot more. They can do a lot in transactional work because of how we are e-filing now and because the attorney is able to actually uh, be more productive if they make use of a paralegal and take the time to uh, get a paralegal educated and train them and acclimate them to how they want things done. They can actually do more work. Let's assume now that, that an attorney says, you know what, sign me up. This is great. This is exactly sure. what I want. I want. I want somebody to help me with all those things you just mm-hmm. said. So they say, everything Johanna just said, that's what I want. All right. How do you go about attracting the right kind of paralegal? How do you recruit? I think the first thing you need to know is, what do I want as an attorney? Okay. What do I really want? Am I going to be able to let go of certain pieces and let someone else do it? That's Um, a control issue, right? Well, you know. We we like control over our work, right? Right. You know, attorneys are are good attorneys because they, they want to maintain focus and control over the case. But... The easiest thing, I think, to piece out are those functions that are putting documents together because no matter what the practice area, there are some documents that are not boilerplate, but you have shells. You have uh, documents that you simply need to go through and change all of your pertinent information that is pertinent to that case each mm-hmm. time. And, and that's a lot. that takes a lot of time. Even with word processing that we have now with computer literacy with attorneys and paralegals now that we have, that's going to take time. And so if you can get them to help you put those documents together and they can do it over and over again. Now, when you mentioned litigation, paralegals also attend trial. Mm -hmm. They may not be arguing the case because that's the attorney's job. Sure, of course. 
but they may be the exhibit custodian. They're going to keep that attorney organized. They're going to follow the case. They probably will have prepped every single witness that's going to be called that day. They will have helped with depositions. There's just such a gamut. I think what's interesting is that everybody has different needs, and so it is almost, you have to find the perfect fit between the attorney and the paralegal, and maybe an attorney that's using a paralegal for the first time won't necessarily give their paralegal a whole bunch of work, but will start them off with like minimal motions that aren't very difficult. But as they develop that relationship and the attorney can trust the paralegal, then the duties become greater and greater, and then they can rely on that paralegal more and more. And you do see in the industry, there are attorneys out there that can't do anything without their paralegal and like taking them to trial. My mother is a paralegal and her boss would go to trial and he'd be talking to a witness on the stand and my mother would pull out a deposition and highlight something and show it to him to you know help with a question. Help impeach, cross-examine. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Sure. We've talked a bit about knowing what you want out of a paralegal if you're a practicing attorney. What are the things paralegals are looking for in the right kind of job? The the ones that have been graduating from from your program. The interesting thing is that the ones graduating from our program have a sort of an array of backgrounds. Okay. We have those who are just out of undergrad and those are millennials. They're highly technically capable. Mm -hmm. They're very much looking to increase their knowledge base. They're voracious. They want to learn you know, and that, and in delegation with those folks, what you may be able to do is get them interested in more of the, the database functions of law with, you know, technical presentations in the courtroom. You know, because they're they they've grown up around technology much more so than any lawyer who's been practicing more than 15 years. Okay. Secondarily, we have people who are have, who have come in from a different career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone who may have been a teacher, someone who may have been in the military, someone who may have, you know, had a different career before, and then they've been out in the workforce five years, 10 years, and they want to change. And one interesting thing is that we have people that have been influenced by outside factors. We have several students in the in-class program that are interested in immigration law because what's going on in the world today. We have people that have been a part of divorces and have decided they're interested in family law. So they come and take our program so they they can be a paralegal in family law. So Mm. there's just many different factors that influence why people come in and take the program. Now, how long is the program? It's what, five months? Five months. Correct. Okay, so if it's if it's a five-month program, there's, I'm assuming that in five months they can't learn everything there is Correct. to know about the law. So what is the training that an attorney would need to put their paralegals through? Because you, you mentioned, Johanna, earlier about training. So as the attorney, what's the onus on the attorney in terms of... Well, with, training that paralegal up. Well, in law firms, in litigation, it's different. There's not just a one fit for everyone. Um, the paralegals that come out of our program are going to know how to draft a motion, but there's the formatting issues and specific language, you know, the attorneys are going to have to guide. Um, so they the, more have to acclimate them to their own style. Yeah, okay. correct. Okay. We give them a toolbox that has the basics and... Even beyond the basics, I think, they get exposure to case law, they get exposure to legal writing and research, they get exposure to contracts, contracts mm-hmm. torts. torts, but in order to have your paralegal become your right hand, mm. eventually you do have to invest a little bit of communication into them as to what you want. We will definitely give them the toolbox they need to walk in and be able to, to help your practice, for sure. Now, here's one problem that I would foresee. Okay, so now I got this right hand, mm. and then the right hand decides to leave me. So let's talk a little bit about 
retaining these paralegals? What's the, mm-hmm. are there certain certain mistakes that attorneys make when it comes to retention? Are there best practices in that regard? Can you guys give some kind of yeah, guidance? Yeah, I, I think, again, that's a layered question. Um, I've sort of over the years found a, a seven-year, 14, and 21-year kind of itch. And the paralegal coming straight in the door is still learning. Mm-hmm. And they're still very excited about what they're doing. And right around five to seven years, they realize, hey, there are other practices of law or there are other things that, that I could be doing. And that's a, t- a critical point in which as an attorney, as a law firm, as a corporate legal department, we need to make sure we're giving them enough to stay intellectually challenged and to feel like their career is progressing. And part of that, it may be a paralegal program, it may be an internal training program, it may be switching them to a new department within a corporation. And then at the 14 year, maybe they're looking at perhaps, you know, wanting to mentor and manage other paralegals. Hmm. Well, if you're going to mentor and manage other paralegals, that's another point at which you're going to need to make sure your toolbox is full and that you, you actually have what you need in order to mentor and manage others. And then at 21 years, you kind of have to look and make sure that you're catering to those paralegals who have a really deep knowledge in perhaps one practice area. And again, maybe there may be some boredom or monotony setting in. I, I hate to, I know the practice of law is well, never sure, boring. Right. No, but, of course not. It's always exciting, just you, like on TV. Well, and, and almost, you know, at that point, they may feel like they're on auto, autopilot. Hmm. Or at that point, they just may need something, their employer to say, no, really, stay. I value you. I value your work. I value what you bring to this practice every day. So that's when you break out the Starbucks gift card. That is definitely Starbucks gift card territory. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it's look, it's good to know when. That way you don't play that card early. You know, on like day two, you get them a Starbucks gift card and then you've used up your trump card at that point. Yeah, right? you may have so. to graduate to Amazon gift card at some point. but Target. There Target's the other big one, right? That's Target's the, good. Yeah. We need- but no, seriously, in retention, you know, I think as attorneys paying for memberships in, a, in paralegal programs, sending them to CLE programs, paying for them to have, you know, a certificate education. You know, these are all things that I think if we can make time to develop our staff, corporations, I think sometimes are a little ahead of the game in that, sure. in developing people and looking and at the resources, career paths. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's just a different mentality. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, law firms are being pulled into working in that space and, and I think that, that investing in them is, is definitely a retention tool. Now, we could probably talk about this all day because this is an important topic. And I think a lot of attorneys don't really, would you agree with me? They don't really know how to use their paralegals as effectively as they could. I think that's correct. Right. I think there are a lot of different ways to use paralegals. I've seen uh, effective ones and I've, I've um, come across some little, ineffective ones. Yeah, yeah, some not so good ones. Yeah. So let's say we've got paralegals out there that want to, or people that want to become paralegals, want to know more, or there's... There are paralegals who maybe want a little guidance on what they need to do with their careers, or if there are attorneys who have questions on effective paralegal management and mm-hmm. effective use of that resource, is there a way they can get in touch with you? What do sure. they do? They can contact the program. So Erin um, Steff is someone who's in charge of our enrollment. My name Johanna Schroeder. I um, am with a group called Fortune here in Houston. Tiffany, do you have a link on the website? Yeah, we're available at the UT Austin Center for Professional Education website. Right. You can search the paralegal program on that website. And they can find sure. you and, and, mm-hmm. and connect with you over there. Absolutely. Okay, well, good. You know, this is a, a side of the law that a lot of attorneys don't necessarily get a lot of guidance on. So I want to thank both of you for, for being here today. Sure. So we're Tiffany, Johanna, you know, pleasure to have you here. Mm-hmm. Guys, check them out. 
you know, if you have any questions, please be sure to follow up. You know, part of what we're trying to do in this podcast is be able to give you guys resources and ideas to help grow your practices and become better lawyers, better practitioners, and most importantly, happier lawyers mm-hmm. and practitioners. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was very helpful. And, and hopefully we've, we've touched a few folks out there today. Now, if you liked what you heard, if you got some value out of this, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to go to LegalTalkNetwork.com. You'll be able to learn more about what we do, how we do, maybe some other podcasts out there that you'd be interested in. And guys, thank you for joining us on this road of the law practice. After all, life's a journey. So thanks for tuning in. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.